I'm going to invite you to turn, if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, because we're going to go back there again this morning. How many of you remember the four points of John 15 from two weeks ago? Okay, that's why we're going to go over it again, okay? <laughs> so uh, we're going to walk through this again because I believe it is one of the most significant chapters, one of the most significant truths in all of the Bible. And I made the comment two weeks ago that I think beyond the gospel and how that has changed your life, I think the truth in John 15 is the second most powerful truth that can change your life. <clears throat> and so, uh, I'm going to be giving you a little challenge at the end of my message, and uh, I'm going to challenge you to, to really take some time during this, this next month to, to ask God to show you uh, what this is all about. There are a couple of things that God is doing and wanting to do in each one of our lives. Two things. The first thing God is wanting to do is to justify you before him. And let me just use this analogy. Let's say that, let's say you were a homeless person, you had nothing to your name, and you got, you walked onto an airplane and you sat down in first class. The stewardess might come up and ask you to justify the reason why you are sitting in first class, because you probably don't look like someone who would normally sit in first class. However, if a very benevolent businessman had chosen to buy a first class ticket and give it to you, and the price had been paid for that ticket, and you were to show that ticket to the stewardess, you would be completely justified in sitting in that seat. In our spiritual lives, God has put us, in essence, in a position of first class. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's chosen us, adopted us, redeemed us, filled it with his spirit, given us hope, given us power. We could go on and on about all of the lavish ways that God has blessed those who believe. And so we see that the reason that we are justified in receiving those things, the reason we are justified in, in, in being in that position before God is because of what Christ did. And so Christ comes, he pays the debt for your sin. You are under God's wrath. Jesus comes and takes all of that wrath upon himself. And therefore, you and I, it is, we are now justified before God because the price for our sin has been paid it has been removed, and now we can come before God as if we're sinless, and he is free to pour out all of that blessing upon our lives. And so he is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. So the first thing that we're talking about here is that God is seeking to, he's seeking to bring, it's all about your union with him, your position in him. It's something called justification. It's the work of God justifying you before him. And in John 15, verse 3, Jesus says this, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now what he's talking about there is the work of God justifying those disciples. He says you're already clean because 
of the word that I have spoken and the work that he was about to do on their behalf. So, so that's one of the primary, one of two major things God is wanting to do in your life. First of all, he's wanting to justify you. The second thing is in verse 2, he says, Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, and that would be every believer, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So this is a process that God is doing in the lives of his people. And this is what we call the sanctifying work of God. This is God wanting now to make you like Christ. This is a process that begins and takes place throughout our lives. And it is a process of bearing more and more fruit in our lives. And it's a, it's a process that goes on through the ongoing pruning of God in each of our lives. Now, last winter we started talking about the pursuit of holiness. This summer, we talked about many practical examples of idolatry in our lives. We pursue other things besides him. And we looked at money and success and power and work and, and just a, a number, number of different items. And I made the comment at that time that the last part of this series, which is what we're in right now, would be the most important part of this series. Because it's one thing to find out that we need to be holy. It's another thing to know why we need to be holy. It's another thing to know what unholiness is, but it's a whole other thing to be able to actually become holy. And so to get rid of these idols in our lives, you know, we, we know they're bad. We, we know we shouldn't have them, but they seem to have such a power in our lives. How do we get rid of them? How do we become free of idolatry in our lives? Getting rid of idols is part of the sanctifying work of God. And so here's the point, and I think this is the most important point of this whole series, and that is that the key to this work of God, it's all about our communion with Christ, our communion with Christ. So we have our union with him, and the sanctifying work of God is about our communion with him, it's experiencing the abiding presence of Christ in our life. And so that's what John 15 is talking about. Now, I'd, I'd like to get rid of something this morning. I'd like to get rid of this perception that, you may not have this perception, but I, I, I run into people who do have this perception, and that is, is that God saves us. You know, through the gospel, he does this wonderful thing in our life. He gives us this grace. And, and that God saves us. And so now in response to that, in response to that, I need to live out the Christian life. I need to become more holy. I need to get rid of this thing in my life. And, and I need to do more of, of this in my life. And, and I really should get rid of this habit in my life. And, and I think, you know, that might be an idol in my life. And there's a word that keeps reoccurring in what I just said. Did you hear what it was? I. That's the problem. Because Jesus says in John 15, he says, I can do nothing. 
I can do nothing apart from him. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus didn't say, apart from me, you just can't be saved. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't be saved, and you can't grow, and you can't become like Christ, and you can't become holy. You need the grace of God as much in terms of what you're becoming as you need the grace of God to be saved in the beginning. So I'd, I'd like to just get rid of this perception that you know God does this for us and then we do this for him. I, I don't know how that's working for you, but that doesn't work very well for me. Because we will continually, on our own strength, fail. And Jesus said, that's because you can't do anything. You can do nothing apart from me. Jesus uses this word abide, or the NIV has the word remain in John 15. He uses it 14 times, and, and here's what it means. It means to stay beside. It means to continue staying. It, it has a sense of persevering and staying. So that, that's the sense of this. When Jesus says abide in me, he says stay here, stay by me, don't go wandering off. When things get hard, don't, don't take off some other road. Persevere, stay, stay, abide with me. It's like a father who's trekking on a, on a very uh, dangerous part of the mountain, and he, he looks to his son, and he says, look, now I want you to stay right with me. I want you to watch, I want you to put your feet where I put my feet. I don't want you to go off on any trails. I don't want you to try and figure this out on your own. I want you to stay right with me as we walk up this mountain. Abiding is the invitation here, what we're called to do. So here's the question I have. And by the way, this is a real question for me. Because I've been studying this stuff and I've been reading this stuff, and the question is, how do we, how do we actually do this? I mean, what what does this abiding look like? Jesus says, "Abide in me." What, you know, how to get your head around, your mind around, your experience around what? What does that really look like in your life? I mean, you wake up at at the alarm goes off at six thirty, and and you get up and you go through your day and. You go to bed at night. What, what does this look like when Jesus said, I want you to abide with me during the day? And so we're going to walk. I'm going to mention uh, this kind of a, a foundational piece here. And then there's four things I'm going to mention. You can write them down. And, and I'm going to invite you over the next month. Not the next. I'm going to invite you over the next month to be praying and seeking God and, and seeking to figure out what this looks like in your own experience. So, in John, here's the first thing we see. The first thing that has to happen that's foundational is, we see it in verse 3, we need to be made clean, we need to receive the gospel. So, abiding starts there. If you don't start there, you don't start. Okay? If you're not, if, if you haven't come before God and said, God, I cannot live the Christian life, I cannot be good enough, I need your grace, I, I need your forgiveness in my life, I need, I believe in you, I, I have placed my faith in the gospel, that's where it has to start. It doesn't start there. You will never experience abiding. So, 
Very, very important. Paul says our best is as filthy rags. And so you cannot abide in Christ unless he removes every sin in your life. And the only way that can be done is through the work of Christ on the cross. So that's where we start. We start with the gospel. And then as we walk through this text, if you read through it, the the first key here that I hear is in verse 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So that's key. My words abide in you. So Jesus says, abide in my word. So do you know what that means? Because if you don't know what that means, it's going to be hard to do, right? So what does that mean, to abide in his word? How do you abide in someone's word? Well, there's a, there's a real link here. If you notice in 7, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. There's a definite link here between his word and, and prayer. Between his word and prayer. And so, if you are going to pray... You need to pray according to God's will, and if, you need, if you're going to know God's will, you, want to, you have to know what he said. You have to know what his word is. And so effective prayer happens in the life of people who abide in the word because they know what the word of Christ is. And so when they pray, they're praying according to his will and according to his word. Prayer is communication with God. And so if you're going to abide with somebody, you need to talk, right? I mean, I've tried to convince my wife that riding in silence in the car is, is significant enough. It's not. Okay? That is not having a relationship, okay? As much as I love to just watch the sunset in quiet, my wife has informed me that we need to be talking if we are going to have a relationship. You need to be communicating with God if you're going to be abiding in him. Now, I've had people say to me, you know, God, God never speaks to me. People talk about God speaking to them. He never speaks to me. Do you know how many pages are in here? This is God's word to you. So none of us can ever say God doesn't speak to us And so Jesus said, when when these words abide in you, when my words abide in you, there's this communication going on. So when we come before God, it's, it's very appropriate to take the word of God and read it because these are God's words speaking to us. Okay, so we are to continually be abiding in these words. So so the words of Scripture, the promises of Scripture, the hope of Scripture, all that stuff, we should be staying there all day long. Jesus says, abide in my word. So that's one of the keys. Second one is in verse 9. Notice what he says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Number two. God is calling you to abide in his love. In fact, he's saying, I want you to live I want you to live in my love, in the awareness of my love. From the time you open your eyes in the morning to the time you go to bed at night, you should be living in the awareness of my love for you. Not just know it occasionally, not just casually, 
I want you to abide in it. I want you to stay there. I want you to be blessed in it. And that is an incredibly, incredibly powerful truth. <clears throat> you can live from morning till night with the sense that you are deeply loved by God. That, that is a transformational thing in anyone's life. And Jesus says, I'm giving you the same love that the Father gave me. As the Father has loved me, so Jesus said, that's the kind of love I want you to experience. The exact same love that I have received from my Father. And John will later remind us that we love him because he first loved us. And so the first need that we have is not to love God. The first need we have is to be loved by God. And so that's where we, in this abiding thing, that's where we have to go because we, we have nothing to give apart from what God pours into our lives. And so we should begin every day with our, with our hands open to God to receive and to live in this love. Every day we should have the sense that I am so loved by God. And by the way, he makes it very clear. His love never changes. His love for you never changes. So he's saying, abide in it. Now there's a third piece. Jesus said, abide in my commands. Verses 10 and 12. Listen to what he says. If you keep my, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. So did you follow that? Jesus said, abide in my love. I have this love for you. I want you to abide in it. You abide in it when you keep my commands. Evidently, when we don't keep his commands, we don't abide in it. Would that make sense? So as you keep my commands, you abide in my love. And Jesus said, that's, that's what I have done in my relationship with my Father. And that's why I, how I abide in his love. We see here that we are to obey his commands. Now, someone might say, that sounds like a big job. There are, if you think through it, there's a lot of commands that God has given us. But Jesus says here, he says, if you keep my commands, you abide in my love, just as I keep my Father's commands and abide in his love. Verse 12, this is my commandment. Now he's going to tell us what it is, that you love one another as I have loved you. <clears throat> you say, is that it? That's it. That's it. Love God and love others. Love God and love others. Nothing more. You say, what about the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not lie. Do you think that's loving others? Thou shalt not steal. Is that loving others? Thou shalt honor thy mother, father and mother. Is that loving others? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Is that loving others? You go through those commands and you'll see that they all impact the people around us and whether we're loving them and caring about others or not. <clears throat> and so that's why Jesus said you can sum it all up in two things, love God and love others. And then he goes to a fourth. He says, abide in my joy. And, and by the way, let me just back up and say one thing. God has this place of love for you you can choose. His love is constant, okay? His love is constant. It doesn't change. It's always there. 
but it's when we obey his commands, when we are living a life of love, is when we, when we abide in that place where we, ex we really experience uh, his love. And so when we step out of that, when we're not loving about other people, we're stepping away from his love. He's not stepping away from us. We're stepping away from him. And so there's a very real connection between living a life of obedience in this whole abiding thing. Living in obedience is critical in order to experience his abiding love in our life. And then finally, he says, abide in my joy, verse 11. And in some ways, this is really a result of abiding in his word, abiding in his love, abiding in his commands or in his will. Jesus wants you to experience joy, and he's not commanding you to be joyful. He says, I want to give you my joy. When you live with your words, abiding in your mind and your heart, and, and you live in my love, and, and you love one another, you will experience a joy. You will experience my joy in your life. And so he says, abide here, stay here, stay in that place of joy. And so we see the purpose of all of this in the end. And let me summarize with this, and then, and then I want to give a challenge to you this morning. Verse 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to me my, my disciples. So if you're bearing fruit, it's a sign. It's a sign that you're a, you're a follower. You're, you're one of Christ. Glorifying God. And then verse 16. You did not <coughs> choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. You should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. Okay, so he wants you to bear fruit that's going to last. It's not going to rot. It's not going to just be ripe for two, three days. It's fruit that will last. That's his goal. And so here's what fruit looks like. And we don't have time to go into this morning, but if you read in Galatians 5 and 6, we see the fruit of the Spirit. God wants you to be filled with love, joy, peace, self-control, patience, perseverance, kindness. So that's one of the ways, that's one of the ways that fruit looks like in your life when you're abiding. The second is the fruit of good deeds, Galatians 6, 7 through 10. There will be good deeds will be the fruit of abiding in Christ. And the third thing will be the fruit of eternal reward in your life. Again, from Galatians 6. And so that's what the fruit looks like. Jesus said, I want you to be full of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. I want you to be life to be full of good deeds. And, and I want you to be establishing things that will last for eternity in your life. Okay, <clears throat> I'm going to give you a little challenge here. We're not going to, I'm not going to do this this morning, <clears throat> but sometime I would encourage you to go to 1 John. John wrote the Gospel of John. He heard the words of Jesus as a young man. He wrote 1 John later in his life, and here's my challenge. Take these four points. Abide in my word. Abide in my love, abide in my commands, abide in my joy. Take those four truths 
and read through 1 John and see if you find evidence that these were things that John had learned in his life. Those of you, I'm just going to challenge you to sit down this week and walk through 1 John and see how many places, how many verses tie in with one of these four truths this morning. Let me conclude. At what level are you experiencing what we're talking about here this morning? I think we're talking about an experience of getting up in the morning and having the sense that Christ is is right there with you. The living presence of Christ through his spirit in you is there. He's going to be walking through every moment of every day of that day with you, that, that his words are flowing through your mind, that you're living in a sense of his love, that every decision you make is, is at least to your best of your knowledge, is something that would be pleasing to God because he is there, he is with you, and experiencing this joy, this, this joy that's really his joy, in your life. What, at what level do you experience that? Now, I realize that in this life we groan. I realize that there'll come a day when we'll see him face to face and that we won't have these barriers. But I have a hunch that there's a lot more anxiety and a lot more worry and a lot more fear and a lot more doubt and, and a lot more of that kind of thing in our lives than God intends for us. I I think God has something more. So I'm going to invite you in the month of November to do this. Here's my challenge. I'm going to invite you, and if you can't do, I'm going to invite you to take an hour a day. Seek God in his word. Seek God in prayer. Be asking him. Be reading through John 15. Read through 1 John. And I'm going to invite you to read, to meditate, to study, to pray. I invite you to ask God to teach you and give you a deeper experience of what it means to abide in him. I'm going to repeat that every week this month. <clears throat> so that's my challenge. Say, God, would you, would you show me what this looks like? W- would you help me to experience what, what the guy up there talking on Sunday was talking about? And, and I, I'm in that with you because... I'm not sure I understand to a large degree what this really, really looks like, what God really is inviting us to in experiencing his abiding presence. Father, I pray this morning that you would put in the hearts of each one of us a hunger to know what this looks like and what this means. Father, that you would teach us Father, the, the, the Bible says that you gave us your Holy Spirit as our teacher and our counselor, and we know that it's your will that we would experience this abiding presence. We, we don't have to wonder if that is part of your will, and you've, you've told us that if we pray according to your will, that you'll do it. And so I pray there'd be many people here that would make a decision today to start praying in faith to experience on a deeper level, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, And in our experience, what it means to live in your abiding presence uh, 
each day, each moment of our lives. And so we just commit this to you. We pray for your working in it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.